Welcome to Precision Medicine Forum Podcast, chatting with patients, healthcare, industry and research professionals about creating personalized medicines for each and every one of us. Together, we head to the holy grail, mainstream precision medicine. Here's your host, Scott Buckler. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Precision Medicine podcast. I am delighted to be welcomed by Dr. Rena Golopidi, who is represents Citadel Precision Medicine. Uh, Citadel Precision Medicine are one of our partners uh, within Precision Medicine and will be joining us throughout the year um, in America, in Belgium and in Berlin for a number of our conferences and as a key partner. So I'm delighted to have Dr. Rena with us today. We're going to talk a little bit about Precision Medicine, but first and foremost, really, I'd just like to invite you, Rena, to tell us a little bit more about yourself and and the work you've done to date career-wise and within Citadel Precision Medicine. Uh, hello, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for kindly inviting me to do this podcast with you. Uh, it's an honor and a brilliant opportunity for Citadel Precision Medicine to introduce itself uh, to the world, uh, you know, to the precision medicine community, and uh, with the hope and uh, the promise that uh, the kind of analytics Citadel Precision Medicine is attempting to do uh, would definitely make a difference uh, in patient treatment, in ensuring patients respond better uh, to precision therapies and also to ensure that better medications are available to patients at a more affordable uh, cost also from a health equity perspective. So it's very nice to be here and I'm very happy this morning uh, to be speaking with you, Scott. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Rena, a little bit of a background into your role at Citadel and how you came to to work there and, 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 and how you came to be involved in precision medicine. The setting up of Citadel Precision Medicine is actually a culmination of a 30-year-old uh, dream. And it's been a long journey for me personally. Uh, by training, I am a doctorate in biochemistry. I'm a biochemist, a molecular biologist. Uh, I also have been trained in animal tissue culture, uh, cancer biology, as well as I am a very experienced computational drug designer and a computational structural biologist. Uh, with around 23 years of experience in the pharma industry behind me, uh, last year, uh, around this time, uh, felt like the right time to launch uh, Citadel Precision Medicine, uh, which essentially is a culmination, uh, if you may, of all of my experiences which I've gathered uh, over the years in the pharma industry, working both with IT organizations within big pharma, uh, small pharma, startup organizations. So there's a wealth of uh, experience collected over the past uh, couple of decades, mm -hmm. uh, which I think has led to setting up of Citadel Precision Medicine, because over these two decades, what I've gained personally is a real experience into how life sciences, pharma, as well as the real world function. Now, once that understanding has set in, and once uh, there is a very good, there is now a very good understanding on my part of how the bench to bedside works. And what I've been attempting to do over the last decade is bringing the bedside back to the bench. To, in short, 
doing a reverse translation of information from the real world, from real world patient experiences back to the discovery R&D side of, uh, you know, the whole drug discovery, drug product manufacturing side. So traditionally, it's been a forward journey for pharma, for healthcare, uh, and for patients who are looking forward to life changing or treatments and drugs, which is, you know, the bench to bedside. What we are attempting to do, like like a few others in the industry, we're not really alone, uh, is bring back information from the real world, real world data, real world experience back to the drug discovery cycle. So Citadel has been set up with this singular goal of being able to translate information from the real world back to drug discovery. We do have uh, you know, drug discovery teams within Citadel who do the modeling simulation. And we also have, uh, you know, analytical experts, domain teams, data scientists, uh, software engineers, all of whom they contribute to building tools and methodologies to analyze real world patient level data. So that's that's a very, you know, summarized version of what Citadel is. This reverse method you talk about there, which is really kind of, for want of term, you're flipping the, the conventional way of um, medicine uh, historically has been done. But what you're doing there is working back from the patient to the bench in a way. Yes. Is it easier? Is it is it much better to do in terms of being able to achieve that? And what does that give to the patient long term in terms of the traditional method? How does it how does it differ? How do you go about conducting something like that? So uh, I'll answer the easier or not easier part first. One, it is for one, it is not easy, and there are specific reasons it is not easy no. because data formats across the life sciences, pharma, and healthcare spectra are very different. Data is siloed. Uh, the kind of formats in which data is generated in the real world is very different from what is used in drug discovery uh, life cycles. So for the first starters, it's not easy at all, but it's not impossible. And we are trying to, uh, you know, uh, look at patient data, look at real world data uh, and see how we can link it to life sciences uh, information, to pharma information, and optimize clinical trials, optimize drug discovery. Uh, to put it in very, very simple terms, we are learning from the real world on how we can make better drugs or design better drugs and hence develop better drugs. So yeah. we're taking real patient experiences in terms of comorbidities, uh, you know, adverse events, symptoms which occur at a population level, at a cohort level, and taking them back, taking those experiences or those occurrences or events back into uh, the designing of therapeutics. And the focus, uh, obviously, as the name suggests, is on precision therapeutics. So it's we're not looking at uh, one-size-fits-all therapy, uh, you know, manufacturing or design. What we're really looking at is, can we, first of all, identify patients in the real world who are in need of specialized therapeutics? And then, mm -hmm. you know, go about understanding why they are in need. So where are those patients? Why are they in need of alternative therapies or more specialized therapy or targeted therapies, if I may? And then go back to the bench and see if there are drugs out there 
which can be repurposed because that's a very big part. You don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. So if there are drugs out there which can be repurposed or can be designed new drugs. How do you identify this patient then? You talked a little bit there about being able to identify the patient and then obviously going back to understand what we can do to support that patient and what's already there as you said not reinventing the wheel but what's out there already to do that this is a entirely a data-driven approach drug discovery r&d if you look back like a, even a couple of decades ago was mostly serendipity or you know by chance discovery and chance occurrence we're trying to change that like many others uh, you know uh, competitor organizations or organizations on a similar path as us uh, we're trying to make it a more data driven approach and i i know that you've been speaking to data organization uh, companies yeah. uh, we are in the same line what we're trying to do is uh, first of all uh, you know make it a very data driven approach make it a very statistically relevant approach use of ai ml and deep learning to interrogate data because uh, data if uh, it is in the proper shape and form and of the best quality often talks yeah and the we we what we really want to do is have the data talk to us talk to us about what would benefit the patient better and hence uh, how we could now bake that those insights and convert them uh, into knowledge. So we have data, we derive insights from data, convert it into knowledge, and then bake that knowledge back into the drug discovery and pharma development life cycle. So I love that terminology you mentioned there. It's a great phrase, uh, making data speak to us. We have already had um, uh, Forbin on from LifeBit actually who talked a little bit about data and, and the way it is. Now, he, he touched on the the uh, the term he used, the data silos, the, the, the silos of data, which is how we unearths it and how he finds this data and how you, how you utilize that. Tell us about, from your perspective, data silos. What, 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 how do you, how do you interpret that and how do you get around that where data is for want of, I'm presuming, uh, from a from my perspective, is spread amongst different caregivers, uh, secondary, primary, across different hospitals or different private care facilities. How do you get that and compile that? And, and is that easy or is that quite a, a quite a tough task to do? Uh, it's a very tough job. Uh, and this is the biggest challenge in precision medicine is getting good quality data uh, from various sources, let's say there is a patient who has data which is now at multiple locations because he or she has been visiting multiple hospitals, so data is spread all across the place. Now, the challenge is accessing that data, linking it. So you link it to a specific patient ID or uh, that itself is very challenging because a patient may be represented in so many different forms, may be addressed in so many different ways. So there are data transformation utilities which Citadel has, uh, which are also available um, you know, in, in, in the industry uh, to actually access data, LifeBit being one of those examples mm -hmm. where data can be accessed, can be linked. Uh, Citadel also has a very robust enterprise semantic ontology framework, which we use to link patient data, link it with 
pharma data and link it further downstream. So if you see, we're going in a backward direction, so to say, the reverse translation. Uh, I keep that always in perspective so that as we move down backwards, we're actually linking patient level data with the treatments and then the treatments, what other treatments are available? What is the molecular structure of the drugs? How would they act? How would a particular treatment benefit a patient vis-a-vis some other treatment? So these are the kind of questions our platform would ask because as I said, it's data-driven, you have algorithms, um, you have this. The, the, the key here is our data fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that data fabric is what we create. Of course, there are access issues and data privacy, uh, uh, you know, the HIPAA compliance, the GDPR, uh, and the non-compliance in some parts of the world. So all of these are challenges at a data level. But once we overcome some of those challenges, the linking of data to recreate patient journeys is essentially the first step towards understanding the 360 degree behavior of a patient towards certain drugs. That's that's what we do. That's a very good answer. And I, I appreciate that because it, it gives us an insight for those people who, who don't understand it. And obviously a big part of the podcast here is for people who work in the profession themselves, but also for people who understand precision medicine, like myself who are coming into it and understanding a little bit how the terminology is often quite complex and quite complicated for people outside that and those people working in in health practitioners already. Uh, We are moving into a new modern era of healthcare where data, artificial intelligence, etc. is playing a a big part in that and that's obviously a way of career learning and trajectory for people to understand that. You talked a little bit there about GDPR and, and some of the common barriers to accessing data and data privacy laws. How complex is that challenge in terms of, is it a region, country by country challenge, or is it more to do with the the organization you're seeking to get that data from? How do you navigate something like that is it about building the relationships relationships up with that particular health provider how do you make that relationship work in order to to successfully gain that data so the one biggest global challenge uh, scott which we at citadel have seen and experienced is trust Mm -hmm. so the trust factor on behalf of the data generators, the source of data, which are the hospitals, uh, you know, the data belongs to the patients. The trust of the patient may be there because it's surprising. Patients are often very willing to share data in various parts of the world. But when it comes to the hospitals who are, you know, self-proclaimed, if I may say rather controversially, custodians of that data, the, uh, for very valid reasons like the HIPAA compliance and the GDPR and data privacy, uh, the trust factor in sharing data c- across regions, across countries is first of all not allowed. Yeah. And second of all, uh, you know, they, they do not trust you. So it's very important for Citadel. We recently, uh, you know, completed a global um, roadshow, so to say, to be able to just connect with data uh, providers uh, to be able to share with them our intent 
because it's very important that we are very transparent as Citadel on what is it we want to do with the data. Uh, we have to be able to not just give them data sharing agreements, but also convince them and share with them in a very open manner what is the intent and why do you want to use, what is it that you want to use the data for? And also to assure and reassure them that the data would not be really shared across organizations, but rather the insights derived from the data would be baked into the models which we are building at the, you know, at the back end of our framework, technology framework, to empower that decision-making engine, uh, you know, for physicians and patients. So that is the biggest challenge, the trust factor, and then, of course, all the documentation, uh, the certification. So at, at Citadel, we ensure that our employees, uh, those who are handling the data, accessing it, are HIPAA certified and HIPAA compliant, uh, GDPR compliant, uh, without which, uh, you know, we do not even enroll them into any conversation with the data provider. So we are taking those steps. Moving on slightly, you, you, with a scenario we've managed to work closely with an organization, a trust, a body, and we've got this data ready and we've, we've, we've taken that data away. Begin analyzing this data, obviously, and, and looking at that. And as you said, it you know, data speaks to you where it where it's necessary. You wh where do, where do you go from there? Then what what's the what's the next step in that process with that data? What do you start to do when it comes to the the actual medical? solution where where do you go next in that journey uh, so citadel methodologies are deep rooted in science uh, you know it is uh, not just a, a commercial approach or you know a, a medical adherence patient adherence usage switching pattern kind of an analytics but we are deeper than that what we're doing is bringing science out of academia yeah. Because that's where good science is normally locked up, in my experience. And we're trying to bring it out of the academic uh, silos and uh, leverage good science, good scientific, um, you know, understanding to build algorithms to analyze anonymized data. One thing I forgot to mention is that Citadel works only with anonymized data. So we do not carry any personal patient information. Uh, and that's, 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 that's as a policy what we do here. So once we have that anonymized uh, data, uh, we have built our own proprietary suite of algorithms to analyze multi-omics data. So when I say multi-omics, what I mean is uh, radiomic uh, information, which is the quantitative transformation of radiological data uh, into mathematical equations, uh, which can be analyzed for their association with biological disease processes. So what we're doing is leveraging radiomic data, re leveraging genomic data, proteomic data, uh, methylomic data, metabolomic, and the list goes on. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously one of the questions you could ask me right off the bat is, uh, where do you get all this data from? Because, and the truth is all of this data does not really exist in the real world for every patient. The data is pretty uh, scant, if I may, uh, and, uh, you know, there's most probably it's only the radiology image which is available for any patient. When I say radiology image, um, I mean the MRIs and the CD scans, the ultrasounds, but also we are bringing into this ambit uh, digital histopathology, which we are treating as images or ECGs, 
uh, in cardiology, which we are treating as images, though they're not true images. So we convert all of this into radiomic information and we are able to, through our algorithms, predict the prognosis, uh, the diagnosis, uh, you know, the next in event uh, for the patient, the course of disease progression, uh, which essentially, if you look at it from a precision medicine lens, involves a lot of genomic information. I was just going to say there's a big genomic aspect to that, yeah. The big genomic aspect. And if you see, uh, you know, I mean, no one's been more closer to these conferences than you are. And you see the talk about the genomics, the molecular tumor boards. Now, what we are attempting to do is augment that fantastic molecular tumor board analysis, especially in oncology, with a lot of radiomic, proteomic, and the other omic information, so as to make the precision decision by the clinician more robust. So the linking of uh, you know genomic uh, mutation uh, data to treatments to checkpoint inhibitors, as is being done today. We firmly believe at Citadel that when we combine that with the rest of the omic information from the patient, or if even if you're able to predict based on a simple radiology report, that could bring about a very significant uh, shift in the way treatments are being prescribed for patients. So we're trying to augment the genomic medicine, if you may say, by bringing in a multi-omic medicine approach. That's what Citadel is doing. What the common diseases or um, illnesses, infections, um, for want of a better term, that you generally see or, or work to solve and prevent. Is precision medicine a panacea to, 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 to any disease and infection or is it mainly those that are genomic-based, uh, hereditary or, or common, uh, such as cancers, that... that it's suitable for or can this be expanded across anything through into asthmas or, or anything else or is that is that not possible with with what you're doing in the data um, that's an ideal world situation i wish uh, we could say <laughs> that precision medicine is a cure for our ills um, unfortunately today the paucity of data so it comes back to the data uh, the paucity of good clean data and good quality data uh, in a way um, prevents development of algorithms which can analyze uh, data to design these therapies. But in principle, if you look at it in a very theoretical uh, perspective, um, given good quality data, given all the multi-omic data, there is no condition which cannot be addressed through precision medicine. Essentially, uh, you know, if you look at it in very simple terms, it's about identifying um, everything about the patient, understanding the patient, because the patient is the, uh, you know, benefactor, if I may say, or the end recipient of these therapies. And it's very, it's not about the disease, it's mo not about the therapy, it's more about the patient. Uh, it's more about how a patient responds, why do the way they respond the way they respond. And that's where all uh, you know, the, the data fabric helps the understand. And that's the reason for having a very broad 
uh, enterprise vision of life sciences, pharma and healthcare. It's it's not enough to have a healthcare focus or a life sciences focus. You need to have a combined lens projecting light onto uh, you know all the three areas while keeping the patient in the center of all of this and while understanding how the patient will behave. So uh, Citadel works in oncology, cardiology, cardiovascular disease, uh, infectious disease, as well as in neurology. And uh, to be very uh, uh, honest about this, there are a lot of disease crosstalks. You know, it's never in the human body is the machinery is so complex. Uh, we First of all, we don't understand it totally. I mean, even the genome, we don't understand the entire genome as yet. Uh, so we're way away from even understanding what we're trying to really do. We have the right intentions, uh, but as, as an industry, we are still far away from it. Uh, as I said, disease crosstalks, like let's say neuro-oncology, glioblastomas, uh, tumors of the brain, uh, you know, these are hard to treat, difficult to detect and uh, very often uh, a failing game unless you know the right mutation the IDH1 mutation is caught uh, patient is treated surgery is difficult so there are so many aspects involved it's it's not about only the patient information which I, I stressed upon a little bit but it's also about getting all of uh, the precision uh, surgery right you know the robotic surgery is great but even today Physicians struggle with, you know, how much of a region around the tumor should be taken off during surgery. That's a real question. We've got asked that by many, many surgical oncologists, and that's something we are also trying to solve for. So it's it's complex to answer your question, and there is no straightforward answer. You talked a little bit there about the patient at the center of, of this, throughout that is. Um, we've got um, a number of conferences coming up which we're delighted to have Citadel um, joining us for and presenting um, uh, explaining a bit more about what you're doing and going forward which would be fantastic to our, our conferences one of the things we're going to be touching upon in uh, our precision oncology in New Jersey which you guys will be which is in your neck of the woods, we like to say over here, uh, where you all are over in New Jersey, and also in in Germany, we're going to be talking a little bit about the patient empowerment and the role of the patient within precision medicine. Um, we was talking yesterday to Guy, who represents the Anti Cancer Fund, uh, and he's going to be speaking with us in Germany on one of our panels, and he was talking to me a little bit about the. Um, always having the patient at the forefront of, of any decisions, but understanding the role precision medicine can play within that patient pathway. You touched on there about the patient at the centre and how that is. It seems to me when I, when I, when I listen to you and when I listen to many other people on podcasts and, and we meet at the conferences, that it seems a bit of a no-brainer for me to say that what you're creating for them is a solution which is, is, is so beneficial to the patient and to their role as a clinician when you say you put the patient at the center do they do the responses you're seeing from clinicians consultants surgeons and people you're working with do they see the benefit of precision medicine do they for want of another term buy into the possibilities of precision medicine and does that make it easy if their enthusiasm is there to start working collaboratively with them is it a an easy door to get through in terms of 
showcasing precision medicine benefits to them or is there still a lot of um uh, anticipation and apprehension to to undertaking such collaboration with yourself it's a mixed bag to be honest uh, we have a section of physicians or stakeholders who are very enthusiastic, who really understand the power of data-driven medicine, because that is what yeah. precision medicine is. It's data-driven medicine. So they do understand, they are savvy enough to understand the power of AI, ML, deep learning, neural networks, all of the technology mumbo-jumbo, they do understand that. In fact, I have some physician uh, colleagues who on, and friends who are taking data science course. It's very heartening. It's very heartening to understand that they do want to get there. There is, however, another section of physicians uh, who are, have to yet warm up to this idea of precision medicine and who view it with more skepticism than enthusiasm. So there are issues like, oh, will AI ML replace me? Mm, mm, I understand, yeah. Can a computer make a better decision than me? I've been experienced for 30 years. Yeah. And uh, how is a computer now telling me what to do? So you do get these, but... Let me tell you, Scott, one thing which we have experienced over the year, last year when we've been speaking globally with physicians is normally if there is skepticism, it is only at the start of the conversation. By the end of the conversation, effectively, they do open up to the idea. They start seeing the value of how clinical or precision decision support systems would really help them in taking a better decision about a patient you know, wherever there is a problem or an issue in treating a patient or a patient is not responding. So that skepticism is there, but it lasts, let's say, for the first 15 minutes of a conversation. So that's the, that I think is uh, the ability, uh, if presented in the right way, uh, with the right, again, I emphasize on the word trust. So the terminology and the, the way that we communicate, but also we look at cancer research, we look at preventative healthcare, and we look at from a UK and where, international perspective, where we've actually created more understanding about what this is and how to, to go about it. Do you think there's actually enough being done around precision oncology, precision medicine in the media and the wider communication to actually break down what it actually is. And would that make it easier for when you likes of yourselves are working with people to actually get past that initial uh, anticipation uh, from, from the clinicians and people you're working with? So you touched upon precision oncology. Precision oncology today is being done. Let's be very fair and honest to the medical community. Uh, we have molecular tumor boards. There are uh, efficient processes where tumor boards meet. I mean, these are elaborate decision-making sessions about what kind of treatment should be given to a patient. The limitation which uh, and this is my humble opinion here, could be that we're focusing only on genomic medicine. And okay. it's time now to bring in the other omics. And hence, Citadel is on that path uh, to, you know, uh, popularize. So precision oncology, does it exist? The answer is yes. Does it exist in the most robust manner? That is an area we can work on. And the way we can work on is a, by either 
generating the right kind of data, the right kind of uh, expression data, the right kind, not just, you know, mutational variant data, but also expression data, pathway data, um, modeling all of these pathways to identify doing mutation engineering. So there's a whole lot which can be done and which can be presented in very effective, visually easy to understand uh, representations and recommendations to physicians because we have to understand that the focus of the physician is on the well-being of the patient on the treatment for the patient it is the job of data analyzers or like ourselves to be able to represent the end recommendations uh, to the physician in a very easy to understand visually appealing manner and which is what Stiddle is trying to do so the adoption is very dependent on how best we can present it. Uh, it's all presentation to the physician. From my perspective, uh, looking at precision medicine in the short period of time I've been involved in it, I can see that there is a lack of national and international awareness around it and what that means. And I don't think that's down to individual organisations such as yourselves or LifeBits or... Kyogens or other companies that are out and working in this area, Devicer and other organizations, and maybe not in the sense of some of the associations, but where do we go from a national perspective? In the UK, to make a great example of that, and for some of our UK listeners, we've seen the role of genomics, as you've touched on, really get to that national media through the into the public's mindset because of the fact that it was launched around the Olympic Games in London. It was talked by our former Prime Minister and it seeped into our to our BBC news feeds, our online news feeds. So we're getting an understanding of what that is and it's starting to actually have conversations, whether it's with my wife or friends, about that. There's some of the kits that are out there, the DNA testing kits, we know all them and how popular they are. So it's become something that we're now understanding. I think, and I've worked in diagnostics before, so I understand how hard this is. Precision medicine seems to be sitting at this kind of superior academic level, which is out of the realms of possibility for me and my friends and colleagues to understand it and therefore becomes something which is a bit standoffish in the way that we address it. When broken down, as you've rightly and, and really well articulated on this podcast, it's it's a patient-centric system that can, with the right data, support the future diagnosis and prevention of, of some of the biggest diseases we face in in our lifetime and some of our friends and family are facing. What do we see that doing? Is that a government health position or is that something the industry can work collaboratively on? How, how do you overcome something like that to make it easy for organisations such as yourself to have them conversations without having to, to go through this, this, this explanation? Font of a better term. Uh, so, so you can have either a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach. And in this case, uh, again, my humble opinion is that a bottom-up approach where like-minded research organizations, academia and industry, really want to collaborate with each other, you know, uh, come up with data sharing networks or insight sharing networks. And since we, we got it clear that data cannot be shared, but an insight sharing global health network, if the intent is there at the level of uh, industry experts, uh, uh, practitioners, uh, you know, uh, physicians and academia, 
that then translates slowly it builds up momentum gathers steam and gets you know into the governmental frameworks such that now it could become a policy the other way round is where you have now a government or a, a governmental you know responsible body which is formulating policies that data should be shared or you know this kind of data must be done which also works but i think the freedom uh, to operate would result in better uh, you know end outcomes for the patient if we include the patient's voice in the beginning as we touched upon earlier we also include uh, there are brilliant academicians uh, even in in europe it's i mean the field of radiomics is so rich in europe uh, it's very surprising as compared to even even the united states i i see a lot of radiomics in in europe they're doing such good work but they're working in radiomics uh, can we bring that multi omics collaboration and everyone cannot do everything so uh, a bottom up approach to influence government regulators to really you know have those mandates have those policies have those uh, focus on precision medicine may help and then in turn once that that enthusiasm builds up from within the communities and you know percolates upwards uh, you can have policies and international collaborations etc because those uh, then can be mandated but when they are mandating it the will of the people if you may or the communities is already available you know it's not a forced mandate and that's the change in society and the other part is also you know precision medicine therapeutics if you look at it the existing car t therapies they're so expensive uh, you just cannot you know 475000 us dollars for one injection uh, for a particular therapy which is in the industry today is simply unthinkable of for a, you know a common man it, you know you, you you just cannot afford that the bigger issue which the industry the academia or even the policy makers need to think is how can we make these medications more accessible it's not enough to be able to analyze data build new therapies you know do all the jazz around drug discovery development if they cannot be provisioned uh, to patients at reasonable affordable costs and this is possible only through uh, international collaboration so like you you know we were at the precision medicine forum in sweden we saw the great collaboration across you know the nordic uh, countries but that's needed at a more global level you need not just the nordic but you need the nordic and the north american you need the asian there is so much uh, information so many people so the coming together of data which is today in silos uh, the ability to analyze is always going to be there you touch on any data analytics company they're going to have proprietary algorithms that's not the problem the problem is the international agreements to share this data and to be able to you know leverage insights from the data to actually translate it into real affordable medications for patients that's the need of the r uh, you know everything else can can follow finally rena i just wanted to understand a little bit more you talked about, about international collaboration from a citadel precision medicine perspective how's your 2022 23 developing what what where are you next and how are you evolving as an organization you are quite young uh, as you said in terms of starting up and 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 founding dates 
what what's next for you and, and, and what is it you're looking to achieve over this next 12 months? Uh, we're very proud of what we've been able to conceptualize and achieve over the past year as an organization. Uh, going forward, we are now looking, uh, you know, um, at collaboration in Asia. Uh, we've done a lot of groundwork there, a lot of footwork, uh, where we now have inroads uh, to uh, hospitals or data generators uh, who in principle are willing to share data however uh, you know as is a very valid argument what they are really looking for is a validation of the kind of decision making tools which citadel provides from an analytical perspective and for citadel now we are in a very interesting phase of our journey uh, very early on we've realized the value of regulatory approval for any of our decision support tools and that is where we are now so one is collaborating globally we are even trying to collaborate with hospitals within the nhs system in 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 the uk uh, we're trying to you know collaborate with academic institutions uh, within the nordic uh, region uh, india of course uh, you know uh, being home ground kind of home ground for us and the us uh, there are institutions ready to work with us uh, with a caveat yeah that any of these methodologies which uh, may claim to be beneficial or recommender systems for patient therapy, diagnosis, prognosis, time of onset of disease detection, etc., must be regulated, must be approved by the regulatory authorities. And we at Citadel are now in uh, a phase where we are attempting uh, to undertake uh, the approval of our own tools and methodologies such that the confidence and the trust which I spoke about earlier uh, gets reinforced uh, with the provider communities, with the user uh, physician basis. And it's it's not just this. One aspect maybe we didn't touch upon is the reimbursement agencies because that's what makes the medications more affordable. So we are looking at a multi-faceted audience, if you may, the providers, the payers and the patient, the three Ps. Uh, of of precision medicine, uh, and we are trying to do this um, in the most uh, ethically accepted and uh, regulated manner. So we are in the process of designing clinical studies uh, to leverage data to understand whether uh, you know what we are calling our decision support tools would really deliver on the promise of precision medicine. So that's where. Citadel is right now. It's an exciting point, and I think it's one where we'll, we'll leave our conversation for today. I mean, to our listeners, um, I want to say that it's um, Citadel will be joining us throughout this year um, as we go across Europe and America, and, and it's a, they're exciting bunch uh, and team, and I know that firsthand, and I'm very excited to see how things. Uh, go for yourselves and how things build and how you aspire really I think there's a, a fantastic respectful team including yourself who are, are working really hard on this and today has been really enjoyable uh, for me to understand a little bit uh, about Citadel more than I already knew but also to understand the depth and knowledge and the patient respect that you've got and understanding of working supportively with organisations and clinicians in an ethical way and I think that's something that I really want to make sure gets across really with our podcast and to people listening is that 
there's organisations, including Citadel, who you've heard from today, from Rena, about the respectability to this and the way that they're going around this with kid gloves to, to make sure it's done in the right way. And I think that's an important aspect for precision medicine as a field. I've come into this and I've seen the respectability and the, the trust uh, that they've put into into people and the faith, but also the fact that they're working tirelessly to, to explore the future of healthcare in a way which uh, opens up a new world of possibilities. So I'm really excited for, for this, this year with yourselves and I, I really am looking forward to to meeting you when we go over to New Jersey and to, to, to see how things grow for you because I, I think you've got the key and the solution to so many of the future challenges around this and uh, it's some exciting times ahead. So thank you once again, Rena, for your time today. Uh, thank you, Scott, and uh, thanks to Steve also for providing us with this lovely opportunity to have this conversation. Well, thank you very much again, Arena, and uh, thank you for everybody who's listened today. Keep subscribing and uh, go to our www.precisionmedicineforum.com and head to our podcast subscribe page and subscribe, and you can listen across all platforms, with Deezer, Amazon Music, Spotify and Apple, amongst many others. Subscribe and keep up listening to the latest information around precision medicine. Thank you very much. That was Precision Medicine Forum Podcast. Visit precisionmedicineforum.com to get all the show resources and find out about our upcoming episodes and events. And please subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.